0: The the object, remember, it's not to protect everything that's old. It's to ask whether what we're believing and practicing is truly life-giving for all. If we hold to that standard, what is life-giving and what isn't, I think it will produce a Jesus follower that isn't afraid of the new. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 480. Our title this week is Kingdom Parables for social change and our reading is from the gospel of Matthew it's Matthew 13:31 through 33 and verses 44 through 52 it reads he told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took Planted in his field, and though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in about sixty pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hid in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his His joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again... The kingdom of heaven is like a net that, has, uh, that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied he said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old so there there are so many beautiful themes in this week's reading for us to dive into there's one that is a bit problematic we're going to get to that but but first let's consider the language here that that refers to Jesus's vision for human community as a kingdom remember Jesus's gospel in these stories his gospel was not instructions uh, or, or nor was it good news about a pathway to achieve entrance into post mortem heaven. Jesus' gospel was good news that announced and called people to a, a new vision for human community in the here and now, a human community where those who were presently being marginalized and pushed to the undersides of their society, they found a world that is safe, just, and compassionate for everyone. So let's look at this language of kingdom. The, the term kingdom combined... The imperial culture of of the Roman Empire with the restoration hopes of the indigenous Jewish people of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee living under Roman imperial colonization at this time. It's the language, uh, again, of that time and of that place. Today... We rightly recognize that kingdom language first; it's hierarchical, but uh, more specifically, it's patriarchal. and And it's in my studied opinion that 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 it, we would harmonize more with Jesus' vision of community, the one that's cast in the Gospels, if we referred to his community in more democratic terms, in ways uh, reflected in the, the democratic principles that are practiced in the book of Acts by the early Jesus community. And I, I also argue that the the cosmic Post-resurrection Jesus became king of the early Jesus communities for a specific purpose. This kingdom imagery, it was intended to help the church replace any earthly king uh, and make Way for a more egalitarian community among themselves. So, so consider the following. Look at this principle in Matthew twenty-three nine through ten. This language was not supposed to uh, ingrain a uh, king. Kingdom type patriarchy and and hierarchies. It was supposed to ironically create a more egalitarian nature in the early church. So again, Matthew twenty three, Matthew ten. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. So again, whenever we call um, God the Father, no one else is to be called father that creates an egalitarian environment in the, in the early Jesus community. And the same with the term instructor. Again, um, he said in Matthew twenty-three, verse eight, "You are not to be called Rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers." So, so this this language of of calling Jesus King to use the same principle of if Jesus is this thing, then you're not to have that thing among yourselves. That you're all equals. Um, you wouldn't have kings among yourselves. You have one King, Jesus, and all of you are to relate as non-hierarchical. Uh, uh, as equals. And again, this language of all of you are brothers, this language does, it attempts to communicate egalitarian siblinghood. Um, but but again, the fact that it's, it's brothers, even this version, um, it, it, it's still uh, patriarchal. Today, we might say brothers and sisters, or more simply just siblings. We can push this language even further to be... Um, not just inclusive of of women, um, but also of non-binary and gender non-conforming and other people. Still in the, still be in perfect harmony with the the trajectory of the intention of the passage and the the original intention of uh, egalitarianism and non-hierarchy. So again, there's there's a lot here to unpack, but I argue. That when we refer to Jesus' community as a kingdom, it, 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 it's, it's vulnerable to being co-opted by kingdoms, sure, but the original intent, and, I, and again, I think we can come up with better ways of referring to it today, but the original intent was to follow this principle that if Jesus is this thing, like, like a king, then, then you're not to have that. In, in an earth in earthly relationships, uh, in our human relationships. So let's talk about mustard seeds for a moment. The parable of mustard seed, it's a political parable. It's not a bot- botanical one. Botanically, mustard doesn't grow into trees at all. They grow into shrubs kind of of an average size. This story is meant to be understood in the context of the the political hopes of the uh, the of Jesus's Jewish community. And consider the the promise that was made to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 17:22 through 23. This is what the sovereign God says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of the cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant on a high and lofty mountain. So again, here's this smallest of beginnings. But then it continues, On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it, it will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. There's that tree. Birds of every kind will nest in it, and they will find shelter in the shade of its branches. So a tree being used as a metaphor for a kingdom or an empire, that was common in the scriptures. It's done for Babylon, too, in in Daniel chapter 4, verse 12 and 23 through 22 talking about babylon it says its leaves were beautiful its fruit abundant and on it was food for all under it the wild animals found shelter the birds lived in its branches from it every creature was fed the tree you saw which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit providing fruit food for all giving shelter to wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. So in, in saying that Jesus's vision for hu- human community, that it would ultimately grow from, from tiny beginnings to the fulfillment of of the Jewish hopes of restoration and independence, By doing this, the gospel authors were appealing to the Jewish hopes, the Jewish people's hopes in the midst of their imperial colonization by Rome. And this can be challenging for contemporary Christians to to wrap their minds and hearts around, but the hard work of reading the Jesus story from the perspective of the marginalized and the excluded communities uh, of that time, it's worth so doing. Because what that does is it prepares us to listen to interpretations of the Jesus story from marginalized communities today. Calling Jesus' vision also of a, a human community, calling it a mustard seed, it was about more though than just its small beginnings. Most of the agricultural world at that time, they deemed the mustard plant to be a weed. So Jesus' kingdom vision for humanity, for human community, it was being likened in this parable to a weed. And this is how, um, this this called out how Jesus' vision for what human community could be, how it was deemed by the elite and the powerful, the property and the privileged uh, during that time, they considered Jesus' vision to be a weed that must speedily be speedily eliminated before It took root in the imaginations of the masses. And that leads us to the next parable, um, and that's the one of leaven or yeast. In the Passover traditions, leaven was a corrupting influence. The, The unleavened breads, it symbolized purity. So in this week's reading, Jesus' kingdom vision for humanity, for human community, it's being likened to something that corrupted. And and again the elite the powerful the property the privileged they considered this vision for human community that Jesus was casting they they considered it a corrupting influence among the masses if something wasn't done and done about it quickly it would permeate the entire society that the elites were profiting off of. We can understand something of this. Historically, democracy was seen as a corrupting influences influence in in societies that practiced monarchy or other forms of hierarchy. Democracy was seen as a bad thing. Today, even non authoritarian. More democratic forms of economic systems or economic uh, 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 ways of ordering society, like socialism and communism, they are they're today deemed as a corrupting influence by global capitalists who profit off the masses and are context. Just consider the history of U.S. policy in relation to Vietnam and Cuba. Jesus' love for the poor and his vision of a human community that practiced wealth redistribution, debt cancellation, resource sharing and mutual aid, um, it inspired the poor and the marginalized of his society. That's why the Jesus movement grew within that social location and, and, and it benefited, they could see a benefit in it and it specifically was a benefit for those who were presently being exploited. But remember, it threatened the elites. These were the folks that didn't want things to change. It truly uh Jesus's preaching, um, in their eyes, it was like corrupting leaven. It was a corrupting influence in their society. It was a noxious weed that needed to be rooted out. And then next, we bump into this priority of hidden treasure or a pearl of great price. So, the next parables here, there's a lot of parables in this week's reading, but the next parables, they characterize Jesus's kingdom not as a weed, not as a corrupting influence, but as a treasure a pearl worth a person selling everything they had to obtain it and this language it aims squarely at jesus's wealthy listeners those who deemed his vision for human com- community as a weed or as a as a as leaven this was aimed directly at them because the wealthy li- listeners remember they had so much to lose by embracing Jesus' vision of human community. Where others had so much to gain, it was a step up for them to equality. It was a step down for others to equality. And yes, the changes would would cost them their bottom line, but the point that's trying to be made in this language is that what they would get in return would be worth so much more than than their economic losses. It would result in a world that would be safer, more compassionate, more just for everyone, including themselves. And notice how this language is repeatedly focused toward the wealthy in the Jesus story. In Mark 10, 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. There's that language of when you find something worthy, selling everything you have to obtain it. The wealthy were called to sell everything they had to obtain the kind of community Jesus was casting before their imaginations of what could be. We find this again in Matthew 19.21, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor. In Luke 12.33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. In uh, Luke 18.22, when Jesus heard this, He said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Again, this kind of language, the the treasure found in the field or the pearl of great price, this kind of language was aimed at those for whom entering Jesus' kingdom would require something of them economically as they embraced his vision of wealth redistribution. In the parables of the treasure located in the field and the pearl of great price, Remember, those who discovered it, they sold everything they had to obtain it. In the book of Acts, wealthy Jesus followers did the same exact thing to create the kind of community that Jesus' teachings inspired them toward. In in Acts 2.45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In Acts 4.34-35, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And and, and this leads into our, 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 our last two sections of this week's reading. Very briefly, um, there's the mention of a Annette. Um, again, we bump into a theme that is repeated in Matthew's Gospel. Um, here, uh, as we talked about last week, There's a wide net that gathers all, but some people here are labeled as good, and some are labeled as wicked. There's a sorting that takes place at the end of the age, and then that end, it includes a a purging or a burning metaphor for the wicked. And given how long this week's podcast already is, I just simply want to encourage you to go back and listen to last week's podcast, uh, the previous episode where we deal with this in detail. It, um, I want to share with you that critique of this way of looking at the world and how destructive it can be. It is not intrinsically life-giving to look at the world like this. But again, um. Um, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to last week's podcast. Um, Lastly, this language of things old and new. In Jesus' time, teachers of the Torah who embraced Jesus' kingdom paradigm, they would rightly be expected to bring out both old universal truths that were in the Torah and their their Jewish wisdom, and some new ones. And this reminds me today that it's okay for Jesus followers, even within traditional expressions of Christianity, to present interpretations and teachings that mix the old and the new. When we discover that we've been wrong, that's okay. That's a good thing. We can make old death-dealing interpretations, we can make those give way to new life-giving interpretations. We can hold on to the old life-giving interpretations too, and at the same time, adopt new interpretations that we think are more life-giving as new information is discovered. When, when what we thought, too, was life-giving, when it turns out to not be, we, we can uh, hold on to uh, the good old, the, the, the good that's old um, and let go of the bad that's old and replace it with the new. The, the object, remember, it's not to protect everything that's old. It's to ask whether what we're believing And practicing is truly life-giving for all. If we hold to that standard, what is life-giving and what isn't, I think it will produce a Jesus follower that isn't afraid of the new. Isn't afraid of new things, culturally, biblically, uh, into into interpretations, societally. Whenever we bump into things that are new, the question is, is it life-giving? Is it correcting something in the past that's been death-dealing for some and uh, and to move forward from there? We can bring things out today, um, things that are old and new as well. Our goal is to be a source of healing and life and change for the better for everyone. And in this way, Jesus followers can, as our reading states this week, bring out of the storerooms new treasures as well as the old. So heart group application this week, something share something that spoke to you from this week's e site or podcast episode with your heart group. Then number two, how do these parables Inform your own social justice work. Share that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today. I want to say a special thank you to all of our supporters out there. If you'd like to join them in supporting Renewed Heart Ministries, you can do so by going to renewedheartministries.com and clicking Donate. You can find Renewed Heart Ministries on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and on the new threads. If you haven't done so already, please follow us on your chosen social media platforms for our daily posts. And also, if you enjoy listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, please uh, like and subscribe to this podcast through whatever podcast platform you're using, and consider taking some time this week to leave us a positive review there. This helps others find our podcast as well. Also, I want to remind you about our our weekly YouTube show called Just Talking, where Pastor Todd and I uh, look at the upcoming lectionary gospel lectionary readings for the upcoming weekend, where we talk about the, the, the reading there in the context of love and inclusion and societal justice. Our hope is that our conversation will be just, but that'll inspire all of us who are along for the journey to do more than just talking. If you teach from the lectionary each week, or if you're just looking for some thoughts on the Jesus story from a more progressive perspective within the context of social justice, check it out. You might like it. You can find it at justtalking or youtube.com. At her forward slash at Herb and Todd just talking. Um, please like, subscribe, hit the notification button there, leave us a comment, let us know you were there. Um, and if you'd like to reach us here at Renewed Heart Ministries through email, you can reach us at info at RenewedHeartMinistries.com. And lastly, my new book, Finding Jesus, a story of a fundamentalist preacher who unexpectedly discovered the social, political, and economic teachings of the Gospels is also available at RenewedHeartMinistries.com. Right where you are this week, keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each of you dearly. I'll see you next week.